0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you. Thank you for joining me today again. We are continuing in our Treasures of the Nativity series, and we're going to be in Lesson 6, talking about the king born in Bethlehem. Today we're looking at, in Lesson 6, the Anointed King. We're going to continue to examine a few more of these treasures of the nativity of Jesus, the king who has been born in Bethlehem. And I want us today to let's consider him as the anointed king that he is. This points us to his priesthood and his kingship, as was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would be priest king. Now, we've been covering many things toward his his kingship, Jesus, the king born in Bethlehem, is king of all kings. But he is also the anointed king. He is also the priest king. We read where Zechariah made such a promise and a prophecy. In the word of God, God anointed Zechariah with this word. And I'd like for us to read it now. In Zechariah chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Receive the gift from the captives, from Heldai, Tobiah, and Jediah, who have come from Babylon. And go the same day and enter the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take the silver and gold, make an elaborate crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now here he's talking about a real, literal man that's going to be receiving this. However, it's also a messianic prophecy as well to be fulfilled in some ways in the Messiah. Continuing in verse 12, Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. Now that is speaking of Jesus in its ultimate fulfillment. Behold the man whose name is the branch. From his place he shall branch out. And he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory. And shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. Meaning between both the priesthood and the kingship. Now, here is where we know this is messianic. This was not speaking of Joshua in that day. This is speaking of the Messiah to come. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. This is speaking of the son of David coming and sitting on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. So here we find out that this messianic prophecy, Jesus also had to fulfill. He was messiah king, but he also was priest king, the king who is also a priest, and a priest who is also the king. Both roles completed in him perfectly, just as was prophesied and just as was patterned. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, it talks about how whatever is coming in the future is what has been already in the past. Not necessarily meaning in its exact similarity, but in its pattern. So in other words, if we want to understand what was coming in the future when before Jesus came, we can look at patterns from what was prophesied and what was exemplified in the Old Testament. When we are looking at what's coming in the future today, what Revelation has told us about. We can understand it better when we see what has happened in the past, what was patterned in the past, etc. So this one Messiah who was coming would fit the pattern as was done and shown of old. And I believe that includes the pattern from priesthood, because he was a priest king. We know he was the son of David, heir to the throne of David, king. But we also know that he was the priest king, the Messiah king, who was also priest. And as Zechariah prophesied, that would come to pass as well. So it's important for us to understand a little bit about the priesthoods that are referred to in the Bible. There are a few, and I want us to just briefly go over those here. I have gone over those more thoroughly in other series and other places where I've referred to such as these. One of those being in my series on John the Baptist, Wilderness Man at the Jordan. So you can certainly look that up if you like. The very first priesthood we find out about in the Bible is the priesthood of Melchizedek. Kind of a strange character, but his priesthood was very real. And we're going to see it's also very important to understand something about his priesthood. And we'll get to that in just a moment. We find evidence of his being priest and his priesthood for the very first time in, guess what, the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 14, verse 18 through 20, it says this, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, meaning Abraham, gave him, meaning Melchizedek, a tithe of all. So we first find out about Melchizedek and the fact that he was a priest of the most high God here in Genesis chapter 14. He was the king of Salem, the king of peace, the king of righteousness he's also called. Now, Hebrews chapter 7 gives us much more details. And the author of the book of Hebrews verifies that this is the same one, the one he's talking about in Hebrews chapter 7, is the very same one that came to Abram here in Genesis chapter 14. This Melchizedek was priest of God most high, the one true God, the great I am. He brought bread and wine to Abram. Bread and wine, we learn throughout Scripture, signifies a covenant meal. It's offering communion. It's offering covenant. It's offering fellowship with God and man. It's all about relationship, and it always has been. And so we see this Melchizedek offering and bringing to Abraham bread and wine, signifying that there would be communion. There was a covenant meal. There would be relationship. That's what God has always wanted. We see Melchizedek blessing Abraham. He brought a word of blessing from God the Lord. He also praised God for victory for Abraham, giving glory to God. And he was the one to whom Abraham gave a tithe. 10% of all of the increase or the spoils that he had received. I want to just make this point. Tithing is not a Torah principle only. It's not an Old Testament or a Tanakh principle only, and it is not something to be ignored. Tithing is very important. Yes, it was first instituted in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, but it is actually verified by Jesus himself. One time, whenever they came, he was dealing with the Pharisees and so forth, and Jesus tells them, you tithe of all this stuff, but you forget the weightier things of the law like justice and mercy. And Jesus tells them, he says, you should be tithing, but you should also be concerned with these weightier matters. You should be doing both. So Jesus verifies that tithing is still for us today. It, and there is a blessing in it, in obedience, just like Malachi prophesied in Malachi chapter 3. So this is the one to whom Abraham gave a tithe, his name we call him is Melchizedek. Now, I want us to go to Hebrews chapter 7, and I want to begin by reading verses 1 through 10. Hebrews chapter 7. For this Melchizedek that we just talked about and that we were introduced to in Genesis 14. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. So in the very first verse, The author of Hebrews verifies for us, we're talking about this same Melchizedek that was found and read about in Genesis chapter 14, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, a tithe, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham." But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So here he's talking about this Melchizedek, and from the description here that the author of Hebrews tells us, it appears to me to be none other than Jesus himself. Jesus did have a few, what we call pre-incarnate appearances, meaning that he would come prior to him actually coming in the flesh and as a Human being being born in the flesh, God-man, God born and come to us in the flesh at the Nativity at Bethlehem in that manger. There were a few of these pre-incarnate appearances that we know about. One of those is found in Joshua chapter 5, where Jesus comes as the captain of the armies of the Lord, the captain of the Lord's hosts, and he comes to Joshua. And the way we know in Scripture the few times when they are appearances of Jesus himself that has come for that purpose is because he and he alone is worthy of worship. And he and he alone can receive worship. The angels of God cannot and will never receive worship from any human being. But Jesus is always worthy of worship. And so Joshua worshiped. Here we see worship to this Melchizedek who came to Abraham in the sense that Abraham paid tithes to him. Only the Lord Jesus can receive our tithes. He's the only one worthy of that. And so there are several reasons why this appears to be Jesus. If you read through like what we just did in Hebrews 7, these early verses, you also see that he was without a beginning of life, without an end of life. Only God himself can fit that mold. There are things here that tell us that this appears to be another pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus himself, and that he was in that appearance with Abraham in the form of Melchizedek, in this person Melchizedek. Some disagree with that, and that's fine, but I can't see any other way you can match it with scripture other than to see it as the Lord himself. But the first one, the first priest that we know about is this Melchizedek. It's very important that we look at the way he came and the priesthood that he shows us. Because it's not about works or rules. There was no, Abraham, you are blessed of God if you do such and such, or because you did such and such, or any of those things. It's not about works or rules. It was simply about God's desire for relationship with us, with people, with Abraham in this case. This Melchizedek came in holiness, and he was a true representative of the holy God who offers covenant and blessings. The second priesthood we find out about in the scripture is the one we are the most familiar with because much of scripture gives us this priesthood and talks about it. And that is the Levitical priesthood. That's the one that came through Aaron, through Moses and Aaron, that was given to Moses at Mount Sinai, the institution of it, the institution of the tabernacle of Moses, the institution of this worship and priesthood service. This supplies the pattern like we talked about in Ecclesiastes 1.9. Both Melchizedek and the coming offering covenant meal, etc. And this priesthood gives us the pattern to know what the coming final priesthood would be like. We can glean from, to understand, the work and the service and the duty of a priest through this priesthood. This priesthood is found throughout the Torah, beginning from the Mount Sinai experience and the command of God to build the tabernacle. And established this priesthood. It was to be entrusted to one tribe and that was the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi received this because of their obedience at Mount Sinai when they were called upon. They stood up and they obeyed the Lord and in response they received no land inheritance. They didn't get an allocation of land when Joshua was dividing the land, but they got God. They got God. They got the closest presence of God that man could experience at that time. They became the one tribe that could get the closest to God on behalf of all the other tribes. They were the ones that served God directly as intermediaries for the people. They were the ones that had access to God closely. And they would pray on behalf of the people and the nation. We learn a pattern of a priest being understood through this Levitical priesthood in many ways. Then we find the third and final priesthood, and it is the priesthood of the Messiah. It is the priesthood for the Lord who was coming and prophesied of old this king that we now study who has been born in Bethlehem. I want us to read in Psalm chapter 110, written by David, as a prophetic word of the coming Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the Lord, meaning God the Father, said to my Lord, David is writing this, meaning the Messiah, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, You have the due of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. In other words, this is a done deal. It will never be changed. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You, David's Lord, the one who would be the Messiah, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So there was a man that would come. There was a Messiah to come, David is prophesying here, and he says that one who is coming, who is this Messiah, will be the anointed one of God. He will be the priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So here we have the prophetic word about the coming priesthood of Messiah on the order of Melchizedek, meaning that he would follow that order for that purpose that kind of purpose, that kind of priesthood, that kind of service. He would be coming offering covenant and blessing, also offering bread and wine, which Jesus did. One of the very last things he did before he died was a covenant meal. We typically in the Christian church call it the Last Supper, but it's actually his last Passover Seder with his disciples. And included in that He offered them bread and wine. It was a covenant meal. It was a meal that would seal their relationship as bride and groom. Jesus being our groom and us receiving the covenant meal, the offer of the bread and wine, saying yes to him as his coming bride. Praise be to God. So Jesus, after the order of Melchizedek is operating as a priest, Forever he has been assured such. He has an enduring priesthood that has been promised to him. And this is where the church comes in a little bit because it's through his representatives and his priests that were serving under him. He is the great high priest, Jesus. In the priesthood pattern from the Old Testament, there would be a high priest. The high priest would serve in the highest of ways in regard to the relationship with God and the service of God. The high priest alone could go into the very presence of the Lord behind the veil once a year. Only the high priest could do that. But there were many other priests that were serving with him. So that that's why it was called the Levitical priesthood. It was a joint service, but with one high priest. It is the same way with the church. We are the priesthood of the believers. I believe we're even represented in the 24 elders of Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And you can see more about that in my Revelation studies, my Thy Kingdom Come studies, etc., where I get into much more detail about the book of Revelation. I've done a few studies on the book of Revelation, and all of that is developed in those studies. So if you're interested, you can certainly look those up. But we are the priesthood of the believer, Serving under our great high priest, Jesus. Believer's priesthood is a part of his royal, regal priesthood. And he has made us such. Let's look now at First Peter chapter 2. And I want to begin the reading in verse 4. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also... He's talking to believers here. He's talking to Christians. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The priest would offer up sacrifices to God on behalf of the people and on behalf of their individual needs. We are now a holy priesthood, Being built up a spiritual house to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ is what Peter is saying. Continuing in verse 6, therefore it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So Peter clarifies for us here that we are a royal priesthood, a priesthood of priest kings, not in our own self, but because it's who God has made us to be. In Revelation chapter five, verses eight through 10, we read these words. Now, when he had taken the scroll, The four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God. In other words, a royal priesthood. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, we read these words. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us... Kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we have several witnesses here in the New Testament to our royal priesthood. We are believers serving as priests in the service and work of the Lord under our great high priest who is Jesus, and he is priest forever after the order of melchizedek according to the scriptures he's patterned after the high priest of the levitical priesthood in some ways and as priest high priest forever we see him ruling and reigning we see the author of hebrews confirming jesus priesthood and the fact that he is the high priest he is priest forever after the order of melchizedek again in hebrews chapter 5 verse 6 and verse 10 where he quotes David in Psalm 110. I also want to read to you Hebrews chapter 6 verse 20 where the forerunner has entered for us even Jesus. So here we see the author of Hebrews clarifying for us who this person is and what his name is. Even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So we notice a couple of things here. First of all, we know that Jesus is this priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek from the scriptures. And we also know that by the time the author of Hebrews writes his book, this man, Jesus, has become, past tense, has become high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, exactly as was promised and prophesied of old. Now, how can this be true? What happened? How has Jesus become priest forever after the order of Melchizedek? Well, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 7, and I want to continue the reading in Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 11, for just a few verses. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek? and not be called according to the order of Aaron. Pretty self-explanatory. If the priesthood of the Levitical line under Aaron as the high priest would have worked, then why would there be any need for another priesthood? Why would David have prophesied years and centuries later of a coming priest forever after the order of Melchizedek if the Levitical priesthood would have worked? That's what he's saying here. Verse 12 of Hebrews 7. For the priesthood being changed. For the priesthood being changed. For the priesthood being changed. Of necessity, there is also a change of the law. So the author of Hebrews here is saying, by now, by the time I'm writing my book, the priesthood has already been changed to this new priest. Jesus, who he just said in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20, is priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Continuing in verse 13 of chapter 7, for he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. In other words, the author of Hebrews is telling us this priest forever after the order of Melchizedek is not from the tribe of Levi. It's from another tribe. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he, meaning God, testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So there was a transfer of priesthood before the author of Hebrews writes his book. When and how did that happen? Do we know? Do we know? How do we know that Jesus is that priest forever? How did the author of Hebrews know that Jesus is that priest forever after the order of Melchizedek? Well, let's look at a couple of quick things. First of all, I just want to point out, we looked at the Magi and their visit in one of the earliest lessons, probably Lesson 1, and how they brought the frankincense. They brought three specific gifts that we're told about. They may have brought many others. But the three that were important for God to include in His Word were gold, which would signify His deity and His royalty, His kingship. Myrrh, which would be associated with even His death and His burial, the sadness of that, but what it will signify. So they even were bringing something that God wanted included that would point and foreshadow His coming death as the Savior of the world. And they brought frankincense. Frankincense would signify his priesthood. This was a priestly gift. It was a fragrance. It was an incense that would be used in priestly service. So this would even signify his priesthood. Whether they knew it or not, God saw fit to see that this was done. And as this baby king that was born in Bethlehem became grown, at about 30 years of age, we read in the last episode, in the last lesson, that according to Luke chapter 3, when Jesus was about 30 years old. Now, why was that significant? Because according to the service as priests, that was the minimum age that a priest could serve. So Jesus knew that. He knew that he had to meet every demand of the Torah. He knew that he had to be in complete concert with the entirety of the word of God from beginning to end. And so at about 30 is when he comes on the scene, the age when the Torah demanded that he could begin serving as priest in a minimum way. And he goes to one person, one specific person. And there's a reason for that. We're going to talk about that now. Who does he go to? He goes to John the Baptist down at the River Jordan. We find the purpose for this and the importance of this when we look at Luke chapter 1. We've referred to it even in the last lesson. We looked at this. He was the son of the aged priest, aged priest Zacharias. He would be six months older than Jesus. He was the one that fulfilled Isaiah chapter 40 and Malachi chapter 3. And he's down at the Jordan River and he's baptizing people. He's doing an immersion a mikvah notice this there's several things that are key at this baptism of jesus by john the first key thing is who is baptizing jesus john john is a son of the priest zacharias he was a priestly line he was in the priestly line he was of the levitical line who could serve as a priest under the order of the Levitical line. And so John is baptizing in the Jordan River. He's baptizing people unto repentance. But Jesus comes to him, not because he needs repentance, but because there's a more important thing that's going on. And that's why when John questions Jesus, he says, I need to be baptized of you, and you're the one coming to me. Jesus tells him, we must fulfill all righteousness everything that's been foretold, everything that's been foreshadowed must be done. And so what Jesus is telling him here is that I need you to baptize me, for there's a greater purpose in this. And that purpose was the transfer of priesthood. John was a representative of the Levitical line, And he was the one that would come as the forerunner of the Messiah. So Jesus knew he had to go directly to John. And immersion, it's interesting, the mikvah, bath, the immersion, was a part of consecration of the Levitical priesthood. When the priest would be consecrated to serve as priest, they had to undergo a mikvah bath. They had to undergo this total immersion. So Jesus knows he must go to him specifically at this age of about 30, because he was one of the last of the Levitical priests of that day, and there had to be a transfer that must occur. Hebrews told us about that. There had to be a transfer. The Levitical priesthood was not sufficient. It was good, but it was not sufficient. And God had promised that there would be coming a Messiah that would be priest forever, After the order of Melchizedek, there had to be a transfer. And by the time the author of Hebrews writes, that transfer has occurred. And it occurred from John, who said, I must decrease and he must increase, to Jesus, who is priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It had to occur from the Levitical line to the order of Melchizedek. It was done at his baptism. Praise be to God. By the time of this writing of Hebrews chapter 7, the priesthood had been changed. It was past tense. Jesus became priest forever after the order of Melchizedek in totality. He always has been. He always was prophesied to be. But in reality, it now came into being. We see Jesus operating as such even during his life, even to his very death and beyond. In his earthly ministry, he prayed for others. That was the office of a priest to intercede. He was more of a go-between. He would heal and do good things on God's behalf to the people. We even see a special evidence of his prayer and his priestly service in John chapter 17, which we typically call the high priestly prayer. And then even in his death, we see him as the high priest offering the sacrifice of himself. He was both the high priest offering and officiating at his death, but he was also the sacrifice. He was the sacrifice of himself that was offered once for all. And the book of Hebrews is a great place for you to read and to understand about all of these things and how Jesus was the once for all sacrifice. I've got a study in the archives that's called Bridge to Excellence. It's all about Hebrews. It's an in-depth study of the book of Hebrews. You're welcome to find that in the archives and listen to that if you like. But I encourage you to read and study the book of Hebrews, and you will understand more. Jesus then ascended to heaven once he was risen from the dead and continues full-time priestly ministry now up there. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, and it says this, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So according to Hebrews seven twenty-five, Jesus is still involved in full-time ministry. He is interceding on our behalf, which Paul also confirms in Romans chapter 8. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, we read about how he is our great high priest interceding on our behalf. It says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, Jesus is our great high priest. He is praying for us. He is inviting us to pray and join him. And he has compassion for us and understanding for he has suffered as we have in his own physical body, yet without sin. Then in Revelation chapter one, we see him in the ministry that he is currently in. Also in Revelation chapter one, beginning in verse 12, it says this, then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, or seven menorah. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of God was there, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band, meaning that that comes from the pattern of the high priestly robe that the high priest would wear. Here again, we see Jesus as the great high priest. Verse 14, his head and hair were white like wool as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth when a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive for evermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, which could mean the pastors or angels. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. So here we see Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 as the head and the high priest of the churches he has established and is using. He is ministering as the priest would among the menorah. The priest in the tabernacle of Moses would go in and they would trim the lamps and they would minister with the lampstands. And we see Jesus doing that here. The menorah represented the church because it's the shining of the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, as Paul describes it. So we see Jesus operating continually, eternally, as high priest even now. Jesus is the anointed king, still ministering on our behalf all day long, every day, on a 24-7 basis, and we, as part of his royal priesthood, serve him here continually. Praise God for our great high priest Jesus who is priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Praise be to God. I pray that this message has been a blessing to you and Lord willing you can join us again for future messages as the Lord would allow. May the Lord bless you richly today in Jesus name. Amen.